Hi everyone. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share with you and talk about my Execute Your Dream course, which is a new online program that I've just launched this week. Execute Your Dream is about the gap between setting the dream and creating your dream and making the dream a reality. Welcome to Execute Your Dream. Execute Your Dream is a blueprint for designing and putting into action a unique plan to help you achieve your goals with purpose. There is nothing that can happen unless you're taking action. Confidence. So you'll be walking around in life and it's just like, I feel so powerful because I've got power moves all over the place. And a loving mindset. Know that you're supported. Know that. I'm with you. Know that you have everything that you need so that you can start living your dream life. If you are interested in executing on your dream in 2020, then go to shirleymcalpine.com forward slash execute. That's shirleymcalpine.com forward slash execute to find out more about the course and then enroll in the program now to day. I look forward to seeing you in the Execute Your Dream course. You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant and executive coach and a leadership facilitator, working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive. And in this episode, we have another amazing woman from UNCF. And um, I'm excited that she is joining us. And I'll tell you a bit more about her in a minute. It's been uh, a week. You know, I'm wondering how, uh, I'm just really struck by how fast we are moving through 2020 it feels fast for me I don't know if it feels fast for you but it certainly feels fast for me and I wanted to just share a little bit about um I think this is going to be a what's been driving me this week little mini one of those and that I'm really paying attention to not doing things that sabotage me and what I'm talking about there is I've noticed, I'm noticing that, um, like I spent all this time in the gym, building up my strength and so on. And then I go and eat things that don't serve me, you know, don't support that. And um, not a big thing. I mean, if anyone looked at my diet, they would think, well, that's pretty healthy and balanced. But for me, there are things that I do that I know that doesn't support and um, enhance all the work that I'm doing in the gym. And so I think like, well, that's sabotage. That is sabotage. And I and I wonder about, so I'm now kind of curiously looking to see where else am I doing things like that? And, I t- and that I might tell myself that it's okay that it doesn't it's not that important or it's not long term or it's only a little something some um and I give myself a, a way out and what would it be like if instead of um tolerating that having a tolerance for those places of sabotage that I really took on not having that and having more alignment in some of those areas so 
that's what I'm thinking about at the moment, really. And I wanted to share that with you. So I'm curious that, like, what are you, where are you, like, doing a bit of sabotage? You know, where are you undermining, you know, the good work that you're doing in an area of your life in one place, and then you do something else that counteracts that, as if it's like you then has you take two steps back when you've taken one step forward. Where else? So it's a good, good question to kind of hold and inquire or journal about. Maybe you could do it in your journal. I also want to just do a big um, plug for my Facebook Lives. I said that I was coming back with Facebook Lives. I will be coming back on the 17th of February. I'm starting my Facebook Lives in the evening and they're going to be at 630 Central Time, 7.30 Eastern Time, and that would be 4.30 um, Pacific Time. So you can find me on Facebook Live at that time and uh, on a Monday night. So that's now my night. That's where you'll find me on Facebook, sharing, talking about the things that show up in, in She's Got Drive and, and, and anything that really in a conversation for what empowers us in having the life that we want and living our life by design and not default. That's what, that's what that's all about. Okay, so I would like to introduce Meredith, Dr. Meredith Anderson. Now, Dr. Meredith Anderson has been in the education field for over 10 years, and she is currently the Senior Research Associate in K-12 Advocacy Department and... Um, research institute at uncf where she leads and designs research related to k through 12 education reform for african-american students her most recent publications are a seat at the table african-american youth perceptions of k through 12 education lift every voice and lead african-american leaders perspectives of k through 12 education reform and building better narratives in black education you see those are so interesting in themselves you know so she's been seat in this research for a good while um she was a program evaluator for baltimore city public schools and is also an adjunct professor who serves on college readiness boards and presents at various conferences across the country she is like a fascinating conversation about what we need to pay attention to through from K through 12 uh, education for young black students. And, and how do we, at what point do we get them college ready? You know, where are we putting our focus and attention on that for, for African-American students? So there's, she's a wealth of knowledge and expertise in this area. And I know you're going to get a lot out of this conversation, out of this um, interview that I had with her I give you Meredith, Meredith thank Anderson. you so much for being willing to be a guest on She's Got Drive thank you thanks for having me I'm excited I'm really looking forward to our conversation because um, I'm excited to find out about you and how you got to do the work that you're doing but I'm also specifically interested in your area of work at UNCF that you're going to share with our listeners because for us to explore what does that mean when in education for our young, our young people on the planet. So, um, or in the States, really more specifically. Um, so Meredith, tell us about yourself and your work and what you do at UNCF. I've been here at UNCF for about 
five years and I'm on the K-12 advocacy team here. And, you know, people kind of know UNCF uh, for our support of our HBCUs and our uh, offering college scholarships mm -hmm. for students. We're the largest scholarship provider for minority students outside the federal government. You know, we've been doing that for several years, but about seven years ago, we started a K-12 advocacy division. Mm -hmm. And essentially what we wanted to do was you know, highlight the crisis in education for our Black students. We know African-American students tend to be uh, less likely to be college ready. You know, we talk a lot about achievement gaps, but what we kind of want to push is, you know, there's opportunity gaps. You know, there's Black students are less likely to be taught by qualified teachers, mm -hmm. you know, less likely to have rigorous, be exposed to rigorous courses in math and science. And so what we wanted to do was, one, highlight that crisis, um, but then two, talk to families and communities about ways that they can make sure that their students and their children are college ready. And so we've been doing that work um, for about seven years. I've been here, you know, for, like I said, for four years doing this work. Mm -hmm. And I'm the senior research associate on the team. And so what that means is I write a lot of our reports related to college readiness, um, getting the perspectives of African-American students and families, and just really getting their perspectives on education. Right, right. And so is this, a, this is, um, I'm sure that there are many people who wouldn't know that UNCF is doing this work, because as you said, right. the association is so obviously strongly associated with the work that you do with H HBCUs and, and uh, scholarships, etc. So what is it that we need to be aware of as um, parents or as people who care about our uh, young black students? Well, I think for us, we kind of think about it in terms of uh, making sure that there's high quality schools for all students. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a couple of things. One is we need to ensure that we have equitable representation, not only for teachers, but for leaders in schools. We've seen research dating back as far as maybe 1989 that shows that having a black teacher in the classroom benefits not only black students, but for all students. And so we've been making sure that we're pushing to ensure that black and brown teachers are there in the classroom because we know they make a difference. And so that's one of our key areas that we focus on. But then also making sure that the schools are offering rigorous courses for students and making sure that they have access. So you have places in, in like Baltimore City Public Schools, for example, mm -hmm. they recently expanded their offerings for advanced placement courses, similar to that we saw in D.C. as well. I think we, we want to make sure that we're pushing for rigorous courses, not just on the AP side, but then also for all students as well. Right. Uh, as you were speaking about the one of the first things around... Um having black teachers or teachers of color in the classroom is so important because I noticed for myself when my daughter reached high school and then had her first black woman teacher I was like oh my god this is so good you know like yeah, yeah she's got <laughs> someone who she can relate she can see relate to in a different way right. you know I it cannot be underestimated the power of that. Whatever level your kid is at, you know, that, and wherever your kid is, you know, to be able to, to go into a classroom and see someone who reflects you, reflects your community is just so powerful. You know, I always kind of go back to, there was a picture that came out when President Obama was in office and there's a little boy, African-American little boy that just asked to touch his hair. 
Mm-hmm. And it that. was, you know, just that symbolism of, you know, this is somebody that looks like me. I can right. aspire to be, you know, in that position. And so similar to, like you said, like with your daughter, just being able to have somebody there that they can aspire to. You know, it's often, right. you know, people say you can't be what you can't see. And so that's one, you know, one way in the education sector that we've been kind of pushing. Right. So you really are doing such important work and you've written some books, Lift Every Voice and Lead, Building Better Narratives in Black Education some at the advocacy work that you're doing for all of those pieces we wanted to make sure that we are highlighting african-american voices in education reform Mm -hmm. so if you look at you know the nonprofit world if you look at some of the major research tanks even in congress it's majority white you know you would think that just on the surface level that people think that african-americans aren't engaged or interested in this work and so we know that that's not the case you know, we've been around for 75 years doing this work, not only with HBCUs, but like I said, we've been in the K-12 space. Right. And so it's important for us to highlight Black voices and making sure that they have their voices lifted and making sure that we're dispelling myths about our parents. Because in yes. that first piece, you know, we heard that close to 90% of our Black parents wanted their children to go to college. About 80% were, you know, engaged in reading to their children. And so they are engaged. And so we wanted to dispel some of those myths. And that's what some of our latest pieces that you mentioned are looking at recently. That's so critical. Again, you know, I love, I love that work that you're doing because we, that's part of the battle, isn't it? As they engage with educational establishments is the expectation or the, as you said, the myths around them that they're mm-hmm. not interested, they're not supporting their children. Which is a, right. which is not true. <laughs> I want to spend some time like exploring you and your how you got into this work and how what led you to this work. So what 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 piqued your interest to get into to work at the UNCF and um, and what were you doing before? I I've always loved to write. You know, even as a kid, I had a a book organization as I called it, uh, where I was writing books. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, <laughs> I would write these little, you know, short stories. Mm-hmm. Also, um, been in, interested in like social justice work, even in high school, doing like voter registration drives. And when I was in uh, undergrad, I was really interested in just this is the disparities in high school dropout rates, especially amongst our black males. Mm-hmm. That kind of led me into just wanting to do some research work. Um, I did a summer program at Duke. Um, it was called the Ralph Munch Summer Institute. And this was a program for uh, minority students interested in pursuing their doctoral ro- work in uh, political science. And so mm-hmm. that kind of led me to uh, pursue my PhD in that work. Then I kind of still had an interest in doing this research, but I knew I wanted to do the work from an equity lens and education lens. Right. And so that's what led me to UNCF because it was rare to find a research institute that was studying African-American student outcomes from the cradle to career. And so that's why it was really important for me um, to be able to work here at UNCF because I was able to do that research and kind of set my own agenda um, with that work instead of having you know somebody set an agenda for me. If you had to predict your trajectory to moving forward, where would you want your, your 
work and in this field to continue to go to? One thing that I really want to uh, delve more into is doing more research related to counselors, school counselors, mm-hmm. um, because we know having not only school counselors, but social workers, psychologists um, in the schools are just of such a grave importance for students. Yeah. And so I really wanted to start doing that work. We've been doing some counselor trainings here just at a couple of different conferences where we're talking to them, you know, about not only the K-12 work, but then about HBCUs because you know, one thing that we heard sometimes at some of these conferences was that some of the counselors kind of dissuaded students from applying to HBCUs. You know, they felt like they would push more of the state schools or they just didn't have that knowledge base. Right. And so what we wanted to do is, you know, let them know it's OK. You know, you, you're not going to know about every single college, but you need to understand some of the major universities for African-American students. And so that's what we've been trying to do, I guess, for the next uh, wave of work. Right. I'm curious, you know, one of the things I ask all my guests is is this notion of success and what does success look like to them, and um, and when do we know when we if we we've, when we've arrived? Do we ever arrive? <laughs> I'm curious to find out from your perspective. What do you? How do you define um, your success, and um, where do you feel like you are? A given purpose, whether that's working out in your particular field, whether that's being at home, whether that's being a mother. I think there's multiple ways to really define success, but I think it's also just kind of cultivating a life that you're proud of. You know, at the end of the day, say that you've made a difference in, in some particular capacity. For me, I've also been thinking of it not just being too busy. You know, I think sometimes as women, and I can speak for myself, you know, we have a tendency to, you know, check so many lists, there's to-do lists, there's things that we have to do. And for me, it's having success is also being able to slow down, to be able to rest and just taking care of yourself. So I think that to me is really important when I think about, you know, my life. And as I assess where I am now is making sure I have that balance or so to speak, if I can balance. Yeah, well, I (laughs) want to meet you there in that place because um, I think it's so true. The the pursuit of careers or the pursuit of whatever those kind of major goals that we have in life, if it's honing your own home or traveling or you know the fulfilling our purpose mm-hmm. in terms of our work and what we want to do and what we're going to contribute in the world sometimes comes at a cost to our own well-being mm-hmm. and um so i love that we say the success is the ability to slow down and and then and then care for yourself a bit more and right. so so then it begs the question <laughs> <laughs> how do you do that what are you doing for yourself when when you feel like, okay, I'm slowing down and I'm going to do X, how do you take care of yourself and what does slowing down look like for you? Yeah, and you know, I'm a work, it's a work in progress. Yes, I'm there, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm a new mom. Uh, I have a, a one-year-old, and so that's completely shifted, you know, my sense of rest, right. <laughs> you know, because you have your sleepless nights. And, you know, my husband is really good at helping me find balance because he knows that I tend to go, go, go. And he sometimes tells me, you know, you're doing too much. You need to just take a minute. I'm really involved in my church. Um, and so just going there to just kind of take a step back from the busyness of the week. Um, and that's been helpful too. Yeah. What, where would you, where would you source your success from? Cause you've, you've got a doctorate. Um, you're doing this wonderful work at UNCF. You're a mother of a, of a one-year-old. 
um, you know, so you are, you, you've accomplished a lot. And so where would you source that from? Like, what is it, the messages that you got when you were younger? Where do you, what was the strategies that you've adopted or learned as you, as you've got, as you've grown up that has helped you get to where you are, do you think? So it's interesting. I think it would be multiple things for me. I grew up in a household with a strong mother. She had a strong mother. I really derived success from just seeing them and seeing you know, their drive and their tenacity. Same with my sister as well. And so I think having those examples has definitely been helpful for me. But I also, you know, I grew up in the church. I was, you know, what they call like a pew, pew baby. I was all, often in church from having Black history speeches, to Christmas speeches, to Easter speeches, being able to navigate that as a child and watching that, that kind of helped lay the foundation uh, mm-hmm. for me in terms of my success. But I think it was also having that drive. But I've also just loved, my mom didn't have to push me, my mom or dad really didn't have to push me to do you know, my work as a kid um, and growing up. You know, That was never like my struggle, like get in there and do your homework. It was, you know, I just often just, I just did it. You know, I just had that, I guess that in- intrinsic, motivation. But then also just just different strategies and networking. I, I think for me, getting to this career path, I use my particular career path, I definitely had to network much more, especially being an introverted person. And so I think for me, I definitely had to get out my comfort zone to get where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I want to kind of explore that whole, that point there around in, being introverted uh, or more like more introverted and then networking because people feel like they're mutually exclusive but you it's a it's a skill development isn't it net, networking and if you mm-hmm. and you have to do mm-hmm. it so how did you for those people out there because i you know how did you get over that how did you you know what were you doing to develop yourself in that regard i think it was just you know making sure that for example, if I went to a panel that had a particular author or scholar that I was interested in talking to, I made sure I did my research, you know, beforehand. Mm-hmm. So then I would wait after the panels and talk to them about their research or talk to them in ways in which that, you know, I could be, perhaps work with them in that area. Um, and so, you know, it definitely took some work um, in terms of just strategizing and making sure I was at the right places um, at the right time. Um, but I think it you know, like I said, we are in a society that kind of values being an extrovert in different settings and making mm-hmm. sure that you're up in front and talking. And um, and for me, I do that, you know, when I have to for my job, I do that and for church. But I'd much rather be behind a desk writing my reports. <laughs> <laughs> the saying to who much is given, much is required. Mm-hmm. And so I know that I've been I've had those skills and I have to cultivate them. And so I've definitely been working on that. It's still a work in progress, mm-hmm. but it's something that I've had to do over the past couple of years. I love that um, that you're doing it, though, you know, and not avoiding it and knowing that it's part of your the development. And then you can retrieve when you need to, to recharge. <laughs> and I think we we can't underestimate if we want to whatever field that we're working in to move forward to accomplish those goals requires being in, in you know, right, right, but right. Going with a focus and an intention is certainly something that. I can hear them really, really help. Yeah. So and I, it, it helped. Oh. Go on. Yeah. Oh, no. And I said it helped um, even 
landing me one of my first jobs here in the D.C. area Mm -hmm. um, because there was a a panel that I attended and I waited and waited, you know, afterwards, sometimes there's long lines to speak to panelists. And so I waited and ended up um, speaking to a man that helped me land a internship. And so that landed me in another role that eventually led to another full time position. And so it was just waiting and making sure that I just took initiative to, um, you know, make that happen. And so, mm-hmm. again, it was, you know, patience because I, I was ready to leave. But that meeting eventually led to, you know, being able to do that policy work, which led me to be in meetings with policymakers and eventually a governor. And so that kind of tenacity in terms of just waiting and making sure I'm being resilient when I'm not in my comfort zone has helped me in my career path, too. Great. Yeah, I think we underestimate that the power of one conversation leading to another to another. And um, yeah, and then, as you said, just being patient in the moment Mm -hmm. and what what rewards it can bring. I'm curious then, what what would you say really has been your biggest challenge to date? I would say, you know, after I completed my doctoral program and I was applying to positions, I was applying to postdocs and I wasn't landing anything. And so, you know, people were telling me, of course, oh, you you got this PhD, you know, you're going to be able to get a job, you're going to work in policy. And, you know, you know, I was starting to believe it. I was like, oh, you know, you're right. I got this PhD. And no, (laughs) rejection after rejection or even not even rejection. It was just people not even returning um, my calls. Uh, not because my actual um, submissions of my, right, my emails. And so for me, that was difficult because, you know, I spent the last eight years in, in education and I didn't have experience. And that's something that I heard. That's when I started doing more of the networking. <laughs> and when I got here to D.C. and I was able to secure a postdoc um, at American University. And so I was able to come up here and teach some race and policy courses, but while I did that, I simultaneously was doing an internship where I could get some policy work. And, and so for me, it was challenging, but it helped me to shape, you know, shape who I am right now because I had to make sure I, I worked hard to get to that position. In those moments, were, were you ever doubtful that it would turn out? And if you were, what did you do? You know, I was doubtful. I talked to my mom, I talked to my dad and they you know, provided me with that encouragement. I think I just kept my head down and kept applying. You know, I was at a point where I was trying to figure out, you know, would I stay in academia for the long term? Would I go into policy? And my heart was in policy. So what motivates you to, to keep moving forward? You know, because the space that you're working in, whilst the advocacy is like you're making a difference but it is a challenging space isn't it to know that the challenge the difficulties that our black young black kids are having and Mm -hmm. i'm sure you hear some stories which are horrendous you know Mm -hmm. Um, so what motivates you what drives you to keep going i've always been driven by just trying to figure out ways that we can address inequities in in various spaces Um, and so you know i'm always thinking about the verse in Proverbs that talks about how we need to speak up for those who can't uh, speak up for themselves. And sometimes it's not that they can't speak up for themselves, but it's rather, you know, how have our institutions and places set up to where certain voices are heard um, and others are not heard. And we see that, you know, via institutional racism in our schools, in the criminal justice system. For me, that motivates me, being able to 
have that voice. You know, like I said, having this PhD, I often am able to be at the table, whereas Mm -hmm. sometimes others can't. And so for me, I'm always making sure that I'm talking about the inequities that I've seen, um, not only in the classroom, but then also in in higher education. So for me, you know, I love being able to work here at UNCF at a Black organization working on behalf of Black students. I think it's important for us to be able to create spaces and schools and programs that can affirm you know, Black students' history and culture. I think far too often students go to school and they're not, they don't see themselves in the textbooks. They don't see themselves in the classroom in terms of teachers and, and leaders. And so for me, it's important that I do this work here. That kind of motivates me to do this work. And thinking about, you know, for other women who are, you know, women of color pursuing, black women pursuing their goals, pursuing their purpose, wanting to make a difference. There are things that they care about. What advice would you give them? I think one thing is to know that, you know, one of the only things uh, that's constant is change. You know, there's often going to be changes and you need to make sure that you're able to navigate that space. But I also think it's important to, you know, have a voice. We often talk about like you said, having a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. But it's also important to have a voice at that table because I think there's plenty of people that will be happy at you sitting at the table but not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can take multiple forms. It can be in speaking. It can be in writing. I would say definitely make sure you make your voice heard. So good. So good. Well, thank you so much for sharing some time with us and sharing your amazing work that you're doing at UNCF. If anyone wanted to kind of support your work in any way, how could they do that? Um, Is there any way that they can participate, any way that they can support you? Yes. um, If if you go to, uh, they can go to Mm uncf.org and you can find not only information about our um, scholarships, but also you can find our reports. Um, You can also look at the Frederick D. Patterson Research Institute. We have several uh, reports there from K-12 all the way until higher education. Mm-hmm. And so I would say um, checking the website would be the best way to stay engaged with us. Perfect. I'm going to put a link in the show notes from, from this episode so that people can okay. find the link. Um, and so, and I just want to just thank you for all the important work that you're doing and the impact that you're having on the education of our, of our black children. It's just phenomenal work. Thank, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, then. You will see that in this interview with, with Dr. Meredith Anderson, how much we really need to focus and pay attention to what our children need, how our children are doing in schools, how are they responding to their environment, how is the environment responding to them, who's teaching them, what what difference is it making and when they have the unique unfortunately it's the unique experience of having a black teacher teach them the difference that that makes is huge and so what can we be doing to to help in this in this area or if we have children who are from k k through 12 you know, how are we paying attention to what's happening in our schools, the, the schools that our children go to, and what difference could we make um, there? So lots, lots, lots to think about, lots to think about. Um, 
and she's doing such amazing work. UNCF is doing sterling work. And if, the, if you want to support the organization, you can donate to UNCF. And there's the link in the show notes that will take you to the page where you can make a donation to this such critical work that they are doing um, for African-American students, for um, getting students college ready, for, for supporting students whilst they're in college and for historical black colleges. So if I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to find out what you're getting from She's Got Drive. If you want to contact me, please find me, DM me on my Instagram account or you can email me at shirleymcalpine.com forward slash contact me. And you can always find me on the She's Got Drive Facebook page. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Vortolina. The music is by the awesome or female band Blonde. The song is called Circles. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, go well and stay well. <laughs>